Hey guys, Pastor Ben. Thank you for joining us here on FCC Online. We are truly thankful and appreciate you taking the time to watch and listen to our messages. One thing that I do want to encourage you to do is as you're watching these, please don't allow these to be your primary resource in your spiritual journey and your walk with Jesus. Keep these as a supplement to what you do on a weekly basis from the gathering, uh, being connected, being part of a life of a local church body. We want these to bless you. We want these messages and these videos to help you grow in your relationship with Christ. But please do not allow these to replace anything that you have to do with a local church body. Well, if you're here visiting with us, uh, if you're new to the congregation here, my name is Ben James. I'm the lead pastor here. We are glad that you're with us. We are going to uh, wrap up for now our study on that same spirit. Uh, we've taken eight weeks and kind of dug into what the Bible says about uh, the Holy Spirit, uh, Him uh, dwelling in us, living in us, uh, and what that means not only to us, but also to the world around us. Before I get into my message, I do want to uh, give a little bit of a praise report. At the end of uh, last week's message, um, you know, Dr. Kendall challenged us all to pray a prayer, and if you prayed it for the first time, he asked you to stand to your feet. Um, throughout the week this week, I have had conversations with four people who prayed that prayer for the first time and gave their heart to Jesus Christ, and we're, uh, we're setting up times to baptize them. So there was at least four salvations here last week. Um, and, and we're just really incredibly thankful and grateful for that. And I will remind you again, if, if you're here and if you did pray that prayer last week and that was the first time that you've prayed that prayer, please see me, uh, talk with me after service uh, because we want to know that. But number two, we want to make sure that we're faithful to the commands that Christ has given us in Scripture. Uh, and one of the commands is to repent and be baptized. We want to make sure that uh, we, we take care of the believer's baptism and are truly and completely obedient to the Word of God and His instructions that He gives us in there. So please, if, uh, if you did that for the first time last week and have not talked with me, please let me know. Um, we're going to look today at that same Spirit in our midst. Now, we've looked at things of like how the Spirit moves in love. We've talked about grieving the Holy Spirit. We've talked about the fruit of the Spirit. We've even spent some time in the gifts of the Spirit. This week, what I want us to do is take this last Sunday that we're going to be on this topic in this study, and I want us to look at what it could possibly mean for God's Holy Spirit not to only dwell in us, but how that kind of plays out and what it maybe should look like in our midst as we are gathered as a church body. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're only going to be reading a singular verse today, but we are going to be referencing the remainder of chapter 14 as we go along. So 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1 says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for 
this time. I thank you for being able to gather as a church family, as believers, as brothers and sisters in Christ to glorify your name, to lift you up and to magnify you. Father, I pray that this time in your word as we move on in this message, that it would do just indeed that, that it would glorify and magnify you. Father, I pray that you give me uh, the insight that you would allow your Holy Spirit to speak through me and to divide your word rightly this morning. I pray that everyone who is here, everyone who is listening to this in the future, that you will open their ears, open the hearts of their, their hearts of understanding, that they could receive your word in their lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you have ever attended the perfect church? Like maybe that church that you visited one time. Right? Like you never went back to, but you were maybe in a different, you were on vacation, you decided to go to church one Sunday morning, and, and everything was right. Like, you know, you didn't really talk to a lot of people. I mean, you talked to some, but you didn't get too deep in conversation. They got in the music. The bass player never hit the wrong key. I mean, you know, like, you know it was perfect. It was great. Everybody was on time. The preacher, he somehow delivered a 27-minute message. <laughs> That's a spiritual gift in and of itself. And then you left and like, man, that was great. It was perfect. There was nothing wrong with that. But I promise you that had you gone back for a second time or maybe a third time, at some point, there's going to be something about that church that, well, let's just say it's not perfect. And no matter what your history is, no matter what your church background and how many uh, exposures you've had to different churches or possibly how many hurts that you've had from different churches, you have never been probably, and I, I could say this with almost 100% certainty, I don't think that any of us have a church history with a church that was as messed up as what the church at Corinth was. Like if you do any studying into the church of Corinth, I'm really shocked that at the end of one of Paul's two letters to them, he, he didn't say, all right, this is the last Sunday. Okay, we're just disbanding this thing. Just, hey, it was a good try, uh, but it's just too far gone. So I don't know if we've ever, any of us have ever been a part of a church that was so dysfunctional, so immature, and just so foolish in a lot of different ways. And that's what we're in the midst of what we've read here, this instruction as he begins chapter 14. Now, 12, in chapter 12, he talked about spiritual gifts. He'd spent the first 11 chapters talking about fleshly wrongs that were happening in Corinth and how they needed to correct them. And then he makes this transition in chapter 12 as to now let's talk about spiritual things. And now let's talk about the way that you're messing up the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You see, what was going on at Corinth is that they were looking at the gifts of the Spirit and they were starting to develop a hierarchy within the church as to who was gifted in what ways. Like some of the more uh, fantastic, some of the more visible gifts, some of the more uh, flashy, eye-catching, these miraculous type gifts, they were starting to develop this culture to where if you did these things, like you were varsity level, right? Did anybody ever play on like grade school basketball? Like when there was back in the day, right, legit grade school basketball, and you had your A, B, and C team squads. 
Anybody ever play during that time period? Listen, we're, we're moving. My wife and I are moving, and we've been getting a new house ready. We've been packing up another house, and it's been a glorious time. I've only feared for my life once. I can't say that that's all she ever entertained taking my life, but in the midst of this packing, I found, found, and, and, and Doug and Teresa will remember this, and I know Eric's working with the safety team out there, and Mike Williams, there was a Carter City Wildcat jacket. Undefeated season, baby. I picked it up. I said, this is what glory looks like right here, honey. <laughs> Found that thing, and oh my goodness. We were a juggernaut. Uh, anyhow, anyhow, I got to move on. But they were developing like this. Like there was an A team within the church. Like if you had these spectacular, and I, and I kind of hate to use that word, but the more spectacular of the spiritual gifts, if you had these, man, you were the A team. Right? Okay, if you had this, this certain gift here, then you were like B team or the C team squad because nothing can compare with these, these spiritual gifts that are the more spec spectacular and more fantastic of the gifts. I don't know if we're any different today, if I'm being honest with you. I don't know if we truly, we may not be as boisterous about it, we may not be as in your face about it, but I think that sometimes we tend to want to elevate certain people and certain giftings over others. And one of the things that the church at Corinth was struggling with, with esteeming, was the gift of tongues. Now, we talked about tongues a little bit, and this is not a message on that again, so we're not going to spend a lot of time there, but we see the history of tongues in the New Testament being Acts chapter 2, which was representative of all the languages of the people that were present there. So the Holy Spirit moved in the gifting of tongues to where they were speaking in, in languages that they didn't know but they were gifted by the Spirit to communicate to the people who were from different regions in their own language. We see another instance in Scripture being a prayer language. In the book of Romans, when it says that when we know not what to pray for, that the Spirit intercedes on our behalf with utterings and groanings. But nowhere in Scripture are we given any type of indication that speaking in tongues makes you varsity level that puts you on the A-team, that elevates you beyond anyone else as far as more spiritual than someone who is gifted differently. And we looked at these different spiritual gifts, and I mean, it's easy for us, right, to look at the people who may be up here, up front on Sunday mornings, and think, man, they're gifted so much by the Holy Spirit. I, I wish I had that. There's like, we, we tend to have this this feeling, this notion in our head that just because someone's gifted differently than what we are, then that makes us less than, or it makes them more. And, and Paul spends the entirety of chapter 14 dismissing that. Now, I, I would encourage you to take today, take this week, if you haven't already, read the entirety of chapter 14. 
Now, he mentions and alludes to the gift of tongues a lot in this passage. But I want to present to you and submit to you a thought that I think that we could insert any gift of the Spirit in this passage and it be true if that gift's being abused. Because he is writing a church that is abusing a spiritual gift and it seems like the one that they have the most issue with abusing is the gift of tongues. But the way that he introduces this passage in verse 1 is he says, Pursue love and desire gifts. Now, we need to understand the order and the importance on which Paul is writing this verse. We just come off of chapter 13 a couple weeks ago talking about that if if you speak in tongues, if you speak in a heavenly language, if you speak even in other languages of man here on earth, but you have not love, then you're a, you're a sounding gong. And I took the gong away to remove the temptation for those of you who were here that heard that, because I, I left it up there one Sunday and I thought, uh-oh, <laughs> made a mistake there. But Paul talks about all of these things that if you remove love, then it's about you. I put a social media post out not too long ago that said that I don't believe that the true opposite of love is hate. I believe that the opposite of love is pride. If you are operating in true love, then I believe the biggest enemy of true love is pride because pride puffeth up. Pride puts all of the focus on you. And if we remove love from our spiritual gift, it doesn't matter how spectacular your gift is, if you remove the love of God from it, then you have taken the focus off of Him and you've put it on yourself. And that means that you're struggling with pride. See, we have these moments of where I think that we transpose what Paul is teaching here because he's telling us that we need to desire he even he even says eagerly desire the gifts of the spirit but he says that the our desire should be a gift but our pursuit should be love now, to pursue something in the original Greek, this word meant to establish as your destination. Not to remove your focus from it. That this is the purpose on which you're moving. Every step you take is with this destination and this purpose in mind. And what Paul is telling us is that that destination in the life of a believer needs to be the love of God. Amen? Like everything we do has to be, needs to be, should be inspired and motivated from love. Now it says to desire, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. But he's saying that in the context that if it does not 
help push you in that pursuit, if that does not forward you in your pursuit of the love of God, then it's pointless. It's meaningless. So the stronger statement here is to pursue love. Paul even kind of goes along, and, and you know, it's, it's kind of nice that he's a capital A apostle because he can kind of get away with a humble brag like this. But he even goes on to say, I probably speak in tongues more than any of you. Like, that's a humble little brag, right? Like, oh, you think you're something? You think you're varsity? Well, I'm the athletic director. But he goes on and just talks about, listen, if you're doing this and it's detached from love, then it's like, it's like a horn, it's like a trumpet that's playing the wrong note. And what that would have meant at the time is like armies were in battle. They were dependent upon this horn to sound certain notes, certain tones, certain signatures that instructed them as to what to do. And what he's saying is like, if you're doing all of these things, if you're just blowing that trumpet and it doesn't have love behind it, then what you're actually doing is you're causing more confusion. Is this making sense? Are we good okay? Are we good? Okay. All right. So, what we have to understand is that Paul repeats himself throughout this chapter. He repeats himself four times. And the phrasing is something similar to the benefit of the church or the upbuilding of the church. You see, Paul has taken these past couple chapters and he is saying that it's all about the body. 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 And then he transitions into this moment and he says that everything that's done needs to uplift and build up and establish more the church. You see, Holy Spirit in our midst tells us that there's something more than it being about us. Like, we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, right? And we've talked about the dove. Has anybody, I know I've gotten a couple messages from some of y'all about the dove illustration that we've talked about the past couple weeks, about, you know, making every move, every word, everything about the dove, about the Holy Spirit. It's like we don't want to scare, we don't want that presence or that, we don't want that awareness of his presence leaving us. I actually had one message come in and say, you know, is it, is it wrong? I forgot how it was worded, but like, you know, traffic during memory days, do we get a pass on that one? Like, does the dove understand that? And listen, I think that that's going to be something that we continue to bring up to keep in front of us because, I mean, that's, a, that's been a very powerful uh, visual for me because I've looked, you know, in the, in the process of moving, it's been so, you know, like I said, it's just we're having the time of our lives. It's so much fun. But there's moments that, that I'm looking back going, yep, there went the dove. Sorry about that. Yep, there he went again. <laughs> Sorry about that. But we make we've got this awareness that the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of us. And that's an amazing promise because He leads us, He guides us, He provides wisdom and insight and gives us comfort, is our source of peace and reveals truth to us. But there also has to be this element of Holy Spirit in our midst. 
I loved one of R.T.'s points last week when he was talking about Peter and John healing uh, the, the beggar at the, at the beautiful gate. It's like the, the reason that could happen was that they both were operating in a moment in their life where the Holy Spirit of God was not grieved. And that the ungrieved spirit in one recognized the ungrieved spirit in the other, and that, was, that released something that was far beyond what they were capable of. First Church, can you imagine the impact that we could have in our community if we were to be aware of the Holy Spirit in our midst? That if I have an ungrieved Holy Spirit coming and operating with me and he begins to recognize the ungrieved spirit in, in each of us, how big of an impact that we could have, what kind of revival and, and awakening that we could see in our area. And the enemy knows that too. And that's why he works so hard. That's why he works against us so vehemently to keep our spirit, keep the Holy Spirit from doing that. Because here's, here's a question. Has any one of you, like married people in the house, let's, let's talk to the married people for just a moment. I don't know of very many more intense moments of fellowship that my wife and I have had outside of the car on the way to church. Like, I mean, we will have moments of arguing and disagreeing in the home and at different places. Man, it feels like on Sunday mornings on the way to church, man, that's just, I can't stand this person. If I could choke him, I would. There'd be a laying on of hands suddenly right now. <laughs> and then we walk into church, hi. Bless God, praise Jesus, hallelujah. I don't like you, get away from me. <laughs> right, I mean, we have an enemy that works against that. But we have to understand that God's Holy Spirit not only wants to work in and through us individually, he also wants to work and minister and outreach and impact through us corporately. In our midst, as a church, as a body of believers, as a family, God's Holy Spirit wants to work through First Church. Amen? He wants to work through First Church. So, it's about the church. It's about this being in our midst. And that's what Paul's saying. He's like, pursue love. So if that's true for us individually, which it is, remember that Paul is writing a letter to a whole church. So he's not just giving instructions to the minister. He's not just giving instructions to the elders of the church. He's not just giving an instruction to the leaders of the church. He is giving an instruction to the whole church. And this is as true and applicable for us today as we sit here at First Church of Christ, 287 Pomeroy Street in Grayson, Kentucky. And I'm sorry, I can't say that address without hearing Jim Phillips' voice in my head. But we sit here... And that phrase is as applicable and relevant to us today as it was to the church at Corinth. 
that we as a church body are to pursue love first. Amen? Pursue love. Then we need to desire gifts. Like, listen, I'm not telling you not to desire. I'm not saying don't go after. Listen, I pray to God daily. God, I want this gift. And he's like, okay, no. Keep teaching, keep preaching, keep studying, keep leading. But God, I really want this. Okay, no. Keep preaching, keep teaching, keep studying, keep leading. Then God sometimes, in his sense of humor, brings you a person, a la my wife, who is gifted like completely differently than I am. One of her greatest like spiritual gifts is hospitality. She loves being hospitable. She loves having, I mean, she would go for communal living like if she had her option. And I'm just sitting in a corner just like, and I'm like, really? Hospital, you're going to make me learn to be hospitable? Why? It's like, oh, well, okay, let's make everybody feel welcome. Let's fix some food. I'm like, why can't they bring their own food? I mean, like, let's have a potluck. Let's have everybody bring sweet potato casserole. That would be a great idea. But he means this as a whole church in our midst. So when we look at it from beyond ourselves, See, that's one of the challenges about the kingdom of God is it requires us to live in so many different ways counterculturally. And one of the ways that we are commanded to live that's counter to the culture that we live in is that it's not all about you. So what that means is that when we're here, that this church is no longer about just you. It's about us. Right? It goes beyond. It's not about you. It's not about what you like, what you don't like, what you expect, what you don't expect, what you prefer, what you don't prefer. This becomes about the body and what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our midst. It moves from it being about me to it being about us and the family of God that is gathered here and who he has sovereignly placed in this location during this time for this season. It becomes about what he wants far greater than what it is about what we want. Amen? See, we don't like that. We don't like that. Because everything that surrounds us tells us that it's about us. Get on your phone. Did you know that it's about 26, 2800 times a day you'll be looking at your phone? That's kind of an astonishing number, isn't it? But just about every time you're going to come along something that talks to you and tells you that it's all about you. See, the kingdom of God is counter to that because it tells us that it's about us. It's about the family. It's about the body. So when it becomes about us, that means a second thing to us is that means that we all are on mission when we come in here. 
Like it's not just about you coming to hear some songs. It's not just about you coming to hear what I'm preaching on. It's not about you hearing about what's going on in the church. You, when you step through those doors of this church as a part of a body, as a part of a congregation, as a part of the family of God, that means that you are now on mission. And your mission is not to sit in the same pew every Sunday. Oh, meddling now, right? <laughs> Well, it was a good run while it lasted, Ben. When we are together, we're not just on mission for God when we are in our daily lives. We are on mission together when we are gathered here together as well. Which that means that each and every one of you are on mission. And that leads, I think, to the third thing that this means. When you're on mission, you can no longer be a spectator. See, I think one of the biggest, I think one of the biggest hindrances to the church, especially the westernized church here in America, is that we view, we have gotten to the place that we're viewing church almost like a movie theater experience. Right? Like, there's an established showtime that everybody shows up for. Most all of us have our preferred seat. Like in a movie theater. Now, I want to be at the top right seat in every movie theater I go to. It's my preferred seat. We're going to gather. We're going to listen to people put on a show, a performance. Hopefully they do it well. Hopefully the songs are good. Hopefully it's something that we like, that we enjoy. Hopefully they sing well. Hopefully they play well. And then we're going to sit back and we're going to listen to a couple people talk, lead us to a, through a couple things. Then we're going to get to the, 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 the main attraction. We're going to get to the message. And we hope that he studied well. We hope that the minister really can speak. Hopefully they have some skills in oration. Hopefully they can put sentences together and not be too long-winded. Right? I mean, because we have church at 10.30 for a reason. We beat the Baptists to the restaurants. So hopefully they don't take too long getting stuff out, which doesn't mean very many rabbit trails and going into the weeds here and there. And then what we're going to do is once it's dismissed, we'll meet back in the lobby. We'll say hi to our friends and family. We'll hang out for a few minutes. And then we go and we get some food. Like when we view it as a consumer-driven mentality, then all we are is a weird programmed movie time at 10.30 on Sunday mornings to where we sprinkle in Jesus just a little bit. When you're on mission, you can no longer have the consumer-driven mentality that I'm just a spectator, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to cross my arms, and I'm going to sit back, and I'm going to dare you to entertain me. And if you don't entertain me, then I might not come back next Sunday. But when we view it as that we are on mission, that we serve a purpose, we have a role, no matter how spectacular, no matter how visible, that God has gifted me through His Holy Spirit with something that this church needs, then we no longer can be satisfied with being a spectator. We can no longer be satisfied with being a consumer. But then we approach our time together as we are on mission. And that we have a gifting, we have a calling, we have a purpose for our time together here today. 
And that's when Holy Spirit in our midst begins to transform us, begins to change us, begins to elevate us when we are pursuing love and not just desiring gifts. Now, as I said, you know, this, this chapter is, is full of like this weird thing that most of us don't understand and we're kind of creeped out about it, you know, like this tongues thing. And, and we kind of dismiss, um, you know, that type of thing, you know, because oh, I don't understand that. I don't like that. I think that's craziness. I think that's out of order. I don't get it. So, so I'm just going to kind of, kind of skirt over chapter 14 here. But what we have to understand is that any gift that we elevate over love you can insert into this chapter and it becomes out of order and it becomes divisive and it becomes a distraction it becomes a stumbling block between you and your brothers and sisters so as we press pause on this study in the Holy Spirit, I would want to leave you with one challenge and one thing to understand is that every time that you are together with your brothers and sisters in Christ, you are on mission. And that is to encourage, that is to uplift, that is to exhort, and as Paul says, that is to do your part in building up the church. I want to ask the, the praise team if they would to come back up. Um, and, and, and I'm going to give you a chance to exercise this this morning. So I'm going to go ahead and ask you, if you can, to stand to your feet with me, please. And I want you to look at the person next to you. Okay? Now, you may know them, you may not know them. But what I want you to do is take just a few minutes, and I want you to look at that person, and I want you to speak life into them. And basically what that means is say something encouraging to them. If you know them well, then encourage them the way you know they need to be encouraged. If you don't, then encouragement is not difficult. Take a few moments and talk to your neighbors and encourage them through the Holy Spirit this morning. I looked around and you know what I saw? I saw a lot of smiling faces. Still see a lot of smiling faces. It feels good to be encouraged, doesn't it? But doesn't it also feel good to encourage someone else? Listen, at the base foundation of this, that's what we're called to do. You're on mission to encourage and uplift the church. And I encourage you to do that more and more as we go along.